This episode is brought to you in part by Richmond Graduate University. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly. Richmond Graduate University can equip you to become a licensed professional counselor, integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. Welcome to the Crafting Character Podcast. Steve Carter here, and in association with my good friends at CDF Capital and Food for the Hungry, I'm excited to today to introduce you to my friend, Jay Kim. Jay Kim is the lead teaching pastor at Westgate Church in San Jose, California. They got multiple campuses. And before like we dive into a great conversation, he he's an incredible teacher, incredible pastor. Um, he, he's the author of Analog Church, which we're going to dive into because I love, love, love the concepts behind this book. Um, I want you to get a little taste of Jay's communication style. Um, this is something we typically do because for many of you, you may never have heard of Westgate Church or never heard of Jay, um, but I want you to hear his sound and then we'll dive into a conversation about the craft of communication. And of course, we'll talk about character because we want to be the kind of people, the kind of preachers and leaders and pastors where our character leads the way. So tune in and listen to this. And in the midst of our anxiety and tension and angst, in our desperate search for certainty, we often, I often place my hope and my trust in the false promises of false gods. Now, the false gods in our midst don't look like the gods of Greek mythology, like Dionysius or Zeus or whoever else. Our idolatry is far more sophisticated, but make no mistake, there are false promises and false gods luring and tempting us in all around us. We, we often place our hope and our trust in the false promises of false gods like success and achievement. Maybe if we could just succeed enough or achieve enough, we'll, uh, we'll experience the meaning, purpose, and joy that we long for. Maybe we believe that it's in financial security that we will achieve meaning, purpose, and joy. Or maybe it's a political ideology or just leisure or temporary pleasure. The list goes on and on. And when these false promises fail us, our disappointment and fury reveal the depth and fervor of our misguided belief that earthly kings and kingdoms will somehow provide the meaning, purpose, and joy that we are all so desperate for. And this is why Paul, over and over again in his letter to the early Christians in Thessalonica, reminds them to keep their hearts and minds fixed on the promise of the parousia, not of any false god, but the parousia, the coming, the arrival of Jesus, who has come and will come again. Because Jesus is the only king and his kingdom is the only kingdom that can actually fulfill the promise of meaning, purpose, and joy that every human being longs for. Well, Jay Kim, thanks so much for joining us on the Crafting Character Podcast. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Definitely, man. Hey, give us a little backstory. How did you get to Westgate 
And yeah, just give us a little backstory of where you come from. Yeah, absolutely. So Silicon Valley, greater San Jose area is home. Been here basically my whole life. Um, yeah, I currently serve on staff at Westgate. It's actually my second go around. Boomerang. So, yeah, <laughs> I, I left and came back. It's like I, I tell people I graduated high school, went away to college for four years, and then I came back home sort of thing. I was here uh, for a couple of years as a teaching pastor from 2012 to 2014. No, that's 2014 to 2016. Okay. And then 2016 to like 2020, middle of 2020, I um, served on staff at a church called Vintage Faith in Santa Cruz, sleepy yes. little beach town that we both love. Yes. And, um, our, our good friend, Dan Kimball. And so served with him there, led there, and then uh, came back in August of 2020. And um, I'm, I'm serving on the executive team and overseeing our teaching and preaching. And so I guess, you know, as of this recording, been back almost a year or something like that. What so. a year it's been, man. Wild. <laughs> Wild. Yeah. Well, it's got to be kind of nice, though, that you've come back to totally. a place that feels like home, like it was familiar. So you knew the people. You have a really great relationship um, with with the other lead pastor who'd been yeah. here for 20 years, Steve Clifford. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's cool to see that, that you've been able to step in. Now, we just listened to a clip from the introduction, um, the week one of the future of everything. And you guys are going through First Thessalonians. Yep. Unpack kind of um, how this series came to be and then what you were specifically trying to accomplish in this talk. Yeah, specifically, I think, you know, our, our mindset for the series wasn't, um, a rhythmic thing. So what I mean by that is it wasn't, Hey man, we've done a lot of like topical stuff. We need a book of the Bible. Right. What it was, um, was a response really to, uh, the season that's been. Yeah. And for me personally, and for a couple others on our teaching team, there was sort of this like collective sense. I mean, we're constant, we're constantly, um, talking about the new normal, you know, and we're constantly sort of racked with the anxiety of not knowing what the new normal is going to be. And so in, in a weird way, we found ourselves like living, leaning forward, but not knowing if the, if the other side of the lean was like just a drop off a cliff right. or if everything was going to be okay or whatever. And the strange thing about it was on one hand, it felt like le living leaning forward felt like we were living into the future a little bit, but the conversations we started having were like, no, I think what's happening is um, we're not living into the, rather than saying like, man, let's just be in the present. There's an, I mean, that's crucially important, but there's another part of us like, I don't think we're living into the future enough. Wow. Like, let's just, what about, yes, we don't know what will happen tomorrow, but here's what's crazy and wild about the biblical story is like, what we do know is what happens in the end, you know, yes. and tomorrow is tomorrow, but there's another tomorrow after that and another tomorrow after that. But what's the future of everything? Not just the future of like this, this month or next year, 2023 or whatever, let's spend some time talking about the future of everything. And that led us down the road of, man, it feels like Paul's first letter to the Christians in Thessalonica get, get at that. And it's pretty clear in the yeah. text. I mean, the theme is woven throughout. Paul's just instructing these passionate Christians who really like don't know what it means to be a Christian, how to live as a Christian. All they know is they're just compelled by Jesus and yeah. the way of Jesus. 
And, and the thing he weaves into all these like encouragements and, and challenges is, Hey, we know how the story ends. Yeah. Christ is coming back. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's, it's amazing because even in the old, like kind of him, you know, Christ has died. Christ is, uh, you know, has risen. Christ will come again. Yeah. We, we forget that. The come again. We, yeah. we forget to come again, you know, and that's, you know, that this series, as I listened to it, I just felt like you guys kept that reminder yeah. and that beautiful refrain. And it was really, really helpful for me in this season. What I've always appreciated about you, and we met, you know, a number of months ago, yeah. and it, it, and I, I feel like I, I told my wife this, but it's, it's, you are, you are just really, really thoughtful. And your preaching is really thoughtful. Um, I'm sitting in your office, and there's books galore, and I can <laughs> I can see there, there's there's a thoughtfulness to the way you structure talks and the way that you preach. And um, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about analog church in a moment, but like the way that you write, there's there is deep thoughtfulness with deep intentionality. But man, there is a theology that you hold and that you live out of. Um, where 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 was that shaped? Like, was is this something that, man, uh, college, has this been like, yeah. did this this kind of sound, yeah. did this kind of come, you know, from a uh, a mentor? I mean, is, or is this just something over 20 years doing ministry? This is just, you've just found this. Yeah, that's a great question, man. First of all, thank you. So encouraging and especially coming from you, someone who I have such deep admiration and respect for as a teacher and communicator. Um, yeah, you know, I, I've, I've, I've thought about that a little bit, um, cause of questions people have asked me in the past, a couple things come to mind. So I said earlier, I grew up in the Silicon Valley, been here basically my whole life, but I wasn't born here. I was born in, um, actually I was born not even in this country. I was born in South Korea and my parents rough marriage. My mom has this encounter with the risen Christ when I'm two realizes she can't raise her son in that environment, tries to sort of, you know, compel my dad to go to church and all that kind of stuff. He, he wrestled with demons his entire life, some, some vices, addictions he can, he can shake. And so anyways, long story short, we moved to the States to California when I was like four. And then I um, was just home, like with my aunt, my mom was working and my aunt watched me and, she only spoke Korean to me. So I didn't go to school till I was in first grade when I was six. And I didn't speak a word of English. Wow. Like um, my aunt didn't let me watch TV. So I didn't have like the English. So it was all Korean all day. So when I went to school, I spoke no English. They threw me into like ESL classes. And I think long story short, one of the things that did, um, I also moved a bunch. I went to four elementary schools in five years and two high schools. And we just moved we moved 14 times between first and 12th grade when wow. I was a kid, me and my mom. So not ideal, um, but, and it made it really challenging for me to embed myself in a group of like really good friends. I just didn't have, I had great friends at church, but you know, five days a week at school, I was pretty alone for the most part. And so I found myself like deep diving into two things. One, books and comic books early on, yes. big into comic books. And then just books, reading books. And then two, um, out of my fascination with books and comic books, just writing a lot. And it was all like gibberish and, you know, whatever. But um, so I think what it did was like it was hard growing up, but it um, 
it sort of shaped me in a particular way. Like I, I, I find real comfort and this is for good and for bad. I find real comfort and joy in um, sitting with my own thoughts. Yeah. And so that part of it uh, not only comes natural to me now, but it's like a part of the teaching process that I so thoroughly enjoy. I love that sitting with my own thoughts mm. and finding deep joy in that. Talk about how that plays out in your prep process. Yeah. So immerse myself in the text. Um, Scott McKnight says, you know, the intention, blue parakeet, paraphrasing here, but like, we're not really supposed to read the Bible. The Bible's supposed to read us. So yes. I just try to do that yeah. prayerfully, asking the spirit of God to lead me, to open me yes. so that he might speak to me through his word. So I just let, you know, the word have me essentially um, for as long as I can. And, and we have the benefit at our church of having a rhythm where I typically don't prep week to week. I usually have a week or two in between. And if I'm teaching two, three weeks in a row, it usually means I have two, three weeks where I'm not teaching beforehand yep. so that I have enough time. So, so I have that built-in time into my schedule to just let the word sort of have me. And once I feel like it's embedded in me and like a pragmatic cue for me is if I can just find myself reciting, if not the whole passage, key sections of the passage just from memory. And um, my goal always there is to have the text reverberating in me everywhere I go. Wow. One of the reasons that's helpful, even on a pragmatic level, you know, people ask me all the time, it's like, where do you come up with stories and illustrations? Well, like if the text has you and it becomes the lens through which you see your life, getting your car wash at the car wash becomes a thing, you know, you're like, whoa, yep. that thing I yep. just saw at yep. the car wash yep connects to the parousia of Christ, you know, like yeah. this kind of stuff comes alive. So I try to do that. I just let, let the text have me. And then from there, it's once it becomes your lens, it's, it's just like, for me, at least my brain's just firing. And then I just, it's practical stuff. I, I know you do note cards, yeah. which is killer. I just have a working Google doc and I'm constantly just punching ideas. Sometimes they're voice memos, yeah. Yeah. like, you know, like in line at Safeway, random dude, you know, buys <laughs> whatever, you know? <laughs> and I'm just constantly punching things like that in and, or like taking photos of weird things I see. And I love that because, you know, it's when you buy a car yeah. and then all of a sudden, you know, you, you pull off the lot and you're driving the first couple of weeks and you're like, oh, there's a, there's another, there's another one, you know, there's, there, there's another yeah, one. Yeah, there's like, totally. you just start to see it because, but before you didn't ever think about seeing your car Right. Because it wasn't on your mind. Now yeah. it is. But the, the gospel's the same way. You can yeah. see it all around. And and the ways that what's so beautiful is it's not just thoughts like that you're thinking, but it's thoughts that you're capturing. Yeah. That's you're great. capturing them and and you you know, whether it is in line at Safeway, yeah. but you can come back. So say, so now you got these these Google Docs yeah. and it's you know, voice memo, it's got pictures. What, what, what talk us through what that looks like in your prep. Yeah. I mean, typically those two things. So two things run parallel. I mean, the first thing is letting the word have me, yep. letting the ideas have me. That's all just immersive and it's prayer and it's Holy Spirit stuff. And, um, and, and once I do that, then those two things are happening parallel. Once one, I'm looking at life through the lens of the word, yes. you know, and the ideas and what I sense God wants to say. And then parallel to that, 
I'm just doing the work. Like I'm grinding. I'm just reading commentaries and finding um, all the bits and pieces and just immersing myself into what people way smarter than me have to say about um, what's happening, you know, in Thessalonica. What was Thessalonica? Why did they call it Thessalonica? Um, oh, Mount Olympus is right across the bay. What was Mount Olympus? Oh, like they would have seen Mount Olympus yeah. visually from the city every day. How does that, you know, impact the way this audience would have heard like these words? And um, I'm doing all of that work. And then typically at the end of that, what I have is just a jumbled mess of notes. And um, that's a beautiful thing, actually, the jumbled It doesn't scare you. No, I enjoy it. Okay. Yeah, I enjoy it. I think a part of it, I mean, at that point, it becomes sort, sort of musical for me. Huh. So I, I grew up um, playing music in, in several uber mediocre local bands, you know, <laughs> playing in front of like three friends or whatever at the local, you know, bowling alley. And um, so... Yeah, it doesn't scare me. It reminds me a lot of jamming with my friends. Mm. We just like pull out our guitars and crank the amps up and we're just going. And it sounds like a jumbled mess, but that man, like there are these moments in the mess that the magic happens. And then this was rare, but sometimes it's like everyone's playing. Sometimes it's like different keys, you know, like I'm playing a G and you're playing in whatever B flat. And it's weird. And we're figuring it out, but then every now and then, without even saying like, oh, dude, what was that? Or, oh, I mean, that that often happened, but every now and then there, there'd be these moments where like you wouldn't have to verbalize anything and everybody kind of finds their way into this pocket. Yeah. And it starts with the mess. Always, like no song we ever wrote, as mediocre as they were, no song ever started with like one, two, three, four, and everyone just, no way. Like, yep. It's all jumbled mess and then you find your way. And that moment of like getting from out of the pocket into the pocket is really special. Yeah. And um, I enjoy that. Yeah. I love it. And I think so. So, no, I'm not scared by the mess. I, I've i learned to, to love it. Yeah. Um, I mean, and there's definitely like pressure sometimes with the time crunch. It's like, oh, it's like Thursday and it's still a jumbled mess. This is not good. I mean, that's very rare, but yeah. again, I, I understand that's a part of just, you know, the, the setup we have here right. with multiple teachers and all of that. Yeah. Talk so. about that because you guys have multiple teachers, but it's not um, kind of simulcast to the multiple campuses. Right. So you have live teaching, but you guys are teaching the same yeah. text. Yeah. How, do, how does that work when you're in your middle of your mess yeah. and the, another communicator is like, oh, I already landed the plane? Yeah, yeah. How does that work? So typically, I mean, this is all pragmatic. So, yeah, we're live everywhere, meaning every weekend in English, we have two teachers. Okay. There's at least two teachers every weekend. And um, so essentially, we, we push our teachers to work two to three weeks out. And, and so the way we make that work is I, because I oversee teaching here, I have a meeting three weeks before any, and often it's me yeah. and another person, <laughs> yeah. but sometimes it's not me at all. I have off Sundays. And so, but still three weeks out, I'll meet with whoever is teaching three weeks later. Gotcha. And I'll just ask for the jumbled mess. So the expectation is you, you have to have a jumbled mess three weeks out. I'm not asking you to like have a clean, clear, just bring the mess. Yeah. And that becomes a, like a jam session. Wow. And we sit around, the mess goes up on a board, super fun. We've learned to enjoy it. 
and then we're just moving stuff, yeah. you know, like try an A flat here, try a C sharp there, that kind of thing. Yeah. And typically out of that meeting, what we have is at least um, a basic structure of where it's going to go. And then if I'm not teaching at that point, I'm handing off to the two teachers. And typically I never have to say it just happens naturally. There's almost always sort of one person amongst the two teachers that's sort of driving the conversation and the other, I mean, it's collaborative for sure, but the other typically it's sort of naturally slides into like, yeah, that sounds great. Hey, I think I might adjust this. And what we ask for is like the path you take to get to, to the destination can diverge, but we have to arrive at the same destination. So um, and it's worked out, you know, fairly well so far. And the destination that you guys arrived to is life group questions. That's one of the destinations. Okay. Although what we're pushing for now is um, rather than trying to put that pressure or onus on our um, teachers to try to be really, you know, synced up, what we're telling our curriculum team is, hey, just be broad. And they always have access to both teachers' notes and both teachers' Um, sets of slides, you know, so they know yep. where the the campuses are going and they'll just pull from that and say, hey, what's shareable? They'll include like basic questions like, hey, which campus did you go to? Man, what was a highlight for you? And sometimes things will come up. It's like, oh, I didn't hear that at my yeah. campus. Yeah. And, and, and then it becomes like a positive thing. They can kind of chat and share. But by end destination, what I mean is like where you land the plane in terms of either the call to action or the question or the reminder, whatever it is. Yep. And often it's verbatim. So different teachers do different things, but um, most of our teachers manuscript the ending. Uh, not always, but typically. And so the ending almost always lands almost verbatim. Wow. So, yeah. and, and how often are you teaching? Is it in the 20s, the 30s? How, how often typically does that look like? And is it primarily one campus or do you, do you go back and forth? Yeah, so um, there's two primary teachers here, myself and then Steve Clifford, who's um, currently the lead pastor. So the two of us are like, man, so we essentially, what we say is we have a hundred plus teaching opportunities because it's live at both campuses. Right. So yep. um, between, between the two of us, we probably cover um, about 60. Yeah. So 30, 30 each. It's an even split. Yep. We're, we're both 30, 30. And I'd say probably 80% of that is at our, um, we don't call it our main campus. It's at our largest campus, our first campus, first like campus where the yep. church started. Yep. Um, and then, you know, it might be like every six weeks, every eight weeks, uh, we're going over to our other campus, um, which means that that campus is hearing from Steve or I every three to four weeks, yep. which is really nice. And then our campus pastor there teaches quite a bit. And then we actually have a teaching pastor who, you know, teaches quite a bit as well. And then all, he also oversees like all the curriculum. Um, so that's been helpful where he can just tie in yes. life group questions and all that. It's amazing. Well, again, I, I, I love, I've never heard it described in that kind of that celebrating the mess, bringing into a little jam session yeah. and then, you know, getting into the pocket, but that makes so much sense. And what, what freedom that is, is just like, Hey, bring your best mess yeah. and then let's chop it up together. Yeah. Let's see, let's see what kind of symphony comes, you know, that's, that's really, really beautiful. Okay. I'm going to, I want to transition because, um, I was given a book called analog church <laughs> and 
I was so curious at first. Like when I first saw it, I was like, okay, is this going to be, like, I was so curious. Like, what is this book going to yeah. actually be about? Obviously, uh, it, forward by Scott McKnight had me. I really liked the cover. Um, but there was just the, the subtitle, why we need real people, places, and things in the digital age. And I just found myself like reading through it and I couldn't put it down. Mm-hmm. I felt like there, and again, it was this, I didn't know you at this, yeah, this yeah. part, but I was like, who is this? Like, I feel like, man, the things that he's saying. And then I came to find out, oh yeah, he, he, I've seen this guy. Cause mm-hmm. I've, I've, I've checked in on vintage, uh, out in Santa Cruz and I, oh, I'm, I'm, oh, that's him. Um, but tell us a little bit of the backstory. How did this book come to be? Yeah. And then, I mean, it's won some awards, which is just amazing. And you never say that, but I get to say and brag on you, like as a friend, like this book has been really, really well received. Um, but give us the backstory of what made you want to write this. Yeah, sure. Um, again, connected to home, you know, I've, I've grown up, I've been in the Silicon Valley for the majority of my life, meaning, you know, tech Mecca, like the stuff we find ourselves sort of immersing ourselves in, um, our smartphones and laptops, just all of that, you know, I can drive to the campus of Apple in like 10 minutes from my front door, Google in 15, Facebook in 25, Twitter's up in the city, you know, about 45 minutes away. So it's just all here. And what that means really is that, the majority of the people who make up our congregation, they are, they're no more, almost all of them, I would say, are no more than one to two degrees removed from tech in some way. You know, either they work in tech or their spouse or their son or their neighbor, you know, like it's just everywhere. And that's not a bad thing. It's like, you know, that's wonderful and great in many ways. Um, but probably six years ago, the first go around when I was at Westgate, um, we were uh, we were just like one location when I joined the team. And shortly after I joined the team, we moved to a multi-site model. And when we initially moved to the multi-site model, um, we just did the classic thing because we didn't know what else to do. We just like, okay, we'll just, we'll have a broadcast venue and then every, the other campuses will get a video teaching and all of that. And that was fine. And, um, but I distinctly remember one day I was teaching, we had Saturday services. So it was a Saturday night and I'm about to get up on the platform and, um, our service producer, she looks over at me. She's like, sweet, awesome. Doing her job. She looks at me. She says, Hey, JJ, remember we're like multi-site now. So when you're preaching, don't forget to look at that camera. And she points at this like little white box in the back of this big room. And she said these words, she's like, look at that camera because um, that camera is the people. That's what she said, you know? And what she meant was that camera should represent to me the people who are going to be sitting in another room tomorrow, not even watching right now, but like tomorrow. So you have to pretend that that, and she, great. Like, I understand what she's saying, but that whole, and I don't even remember what I was preaching on the whole sermon. I remember viscerally feeling like this is strange. Like I, I'm trying to imagine, yeah. but like, I, I just, I, I wish I could see them like the actual people and why can't, you know, it was so weird. And that's not an indictment on video venues or anything like that, but I share that story to say it just triggered my thinking. Yeah. And that led me, down a long road where like for a couple of years, I just started asking the question, like, I'm not anti-digital, 
Um, I love digital technology and I think it offers us so many gifts and advantages, but at a certain point I start asking like, man, is there, is there a way in which our leveraging of digital technologies might be shaping and influencing and forming and unforming and reforming our ecclesiology? And so then I just started deep diving into like Marshall McLuhan and Neil Postman. And I was like, no, like we have to think about this as it pertains to how we understand what it means to be the church. And so those thoughts and conversations and then notes and then blog posts turned into a book. So the question I've always wondered is when did, when did you submit the manuscript? (laughs) Yeah. Um, I think it was, let's see. Pre-COVID? Pre-COVID. Okay. Well before COVID. That's what I thought. So then, so it's pre-COVID, like yeah. in many ways. So Yeah, done very, writing long before COVID. Yeah, so yeah. It's, there's not like a ton of us are in the digital conversation. Yeah. But it's 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 picking up traction yeah. and steam. Then COVID hits. Yeah. You know, this book drops. It came out the same month we went on lockdown. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. So So like I just kept thinking about this, reading through it, and then as, you know, Lockdown just kept adding a month, yeah. kept adding, and you're watching different people. Would there be another chapter that you'd add? Yeah. Was there something that you, or, or is the, I don't know if that's even a tell for like another book that you're even thinking, but like, I just like, in a sense, like how much of this in your mind goes, gosh, like I've doubled down on what I believe in yeah. this or how much is like, okay, I would flex here in this way, if that makes sense. Totally, yeah, it's both, it's both. So um, at the core of sort of human experience, when I think about that, I've doubled down. Yeah, Like I think COVID has has proven, in my mind, without doubt, that embodied humans need embodied humans. And if we believe that the church is the place to be most human, mm. and I don't mean like to, to feel most human, I mean like most human in the way that God intended humans to be, like a Mago Day, human flourishing, not that we'll, we'll ever experience that in full until the return of Christ, but to at least embody that and pursue that together. If that's true of the church, then to me, it feels like COVID has shown us that that includes like embodied presence with one another. So I've doubled down for sure. And, um, I think a lot of people feel that, you know, on the other hand, if I had to add a chapter or if I could add a chapter, which you can't, you know, it looks like this. Um, I probably would post COVID speak to hybridity. I'm, I'm pretty like, you know, I'm pretty like aggressive in the book uh, on my position. Yeah. Yeah. Written before COVID, I will readily admit, and I've admitted on, you know, um, on other podcasts recently, like, yeah, COVID definitely changed my level of appreciation for the gift that is digital. And now as we're even coming out of the pandemic, as I think about how, how shaken we've been by this whole season, and there's a lot to this, right? Like misinformation and who knows all of that stuff. But pastorally, my heart just goes out. It's like, it's confusing times. So I understand that like for us here at Westgate, I understand that still probably, I think like two thirds of our people are online. Like I get it, you know? And 
So in that way, I'm more grateful than I was before. Because before, to me, it was just like, we don't need, like, you don't have to do the digital thing. You, why aren't you coming out? Now it's like, I get it. You know, I get it to a certain extent. Um, so, I, you know, I have thoughts on hybridity and, and sort of a hierarchy of hybridity and, and considering that thoughtfully as church leaders. Yeah. Um, but that's probably the one thing I would add if yeah. I could. Now, now moving forward, because when did California open up where you guys were said felt comfortable having services? Yeah, live? it was like um, shortly before Easter. Shortly before Easter. So oh. yeah, like late March, early April. Okay, Gosh. and then it was later than that when we were able to go inside. So we've been inside only for, gosh, I don't know, maybe like four weeks four or something weeks, like yeah. that at this point. So what have you? seen when you've talked about kind of this, this fully human, this human flourishing, this like ache, you know, as your people have started to walk back in, how do you create through your preaching, but also just through the, I don't know, the welcoming back, just this, Hey, like we want you to flourish. Mm -hmm. But after a year of, I mean, in California, more so than most states, yeah. more detachment or more isolation in a lot of ways. Um, right. You know, uh, how, how have you guys been able to kind of just start to really step back into that in this season? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot there. I'll share one thing <clears throat> where we've begun and are planning on doing our best to lean our people into joy this oh, summer yeah um and it sounds so simple but i i felt like this past year not just because of covid but because of so many things um i was just robbed of joy mm. you know like all the other pieces i felt like were in place like i feel like you know i was resilient and i was gritty and so was everyone else around me yeah. we were like grinding and you know, like, don't give up and let's go. We can do this, climb this mountain, you know? Um, but it, fe it felt very much in hindsight, like, oh, the missing piece was joy. We were just mm -hmm. like, we were joylessly toiling. <laughs> and there is such a thing as joyful labor. Mm -hmm. And um, that's a beautiful thing. So, you know, we're, we're not like, hey, it's all easy now. So let's just party. Right, right, right. we're saying at all, like, there's hard stuff ahead and maybe harder stuff ahead. I don't know, but um, we're going to do our best to like lean our people into joy. So what we're asking along those lines, and this may be more practical than you want it to be. We're just going to ask people to like linger and celebrate. And awesome. we're going to try to create space for that, like food trucks and live music out on our patio, just yeah. simple things. Yep. Yep. We're going to barbecue one Sunday and just, you know, stuff that feel, and we're, we're a fairly large church, even though two thirds of our people aren't coming. It's like, it's a lot of people coming right. to church and, um, you know, like it'll cost us a lot of money and stuff, but like unanimously as a team, we were like, this is like well worth it, you know? Um, because I, th I think to celebrate together again, going back to the, the sort of, you know, thread through our conversation, like celebrating together is one of the best reminders of our humanness right we're made in the image of 
a joyful God, yeah. you know? Um, I think it's Dallas Willard who said, God, he has this beautiful thing. I think it's in Divine Conspiracy. You might know, Steve, but he's got this beautiful section where he talks about, like, imagine God when he was creating mm. the sunset and the water and the skies. And then he says, like, he has to be the happiest being in the universe, yeah. you know? Yeah. And when we look at all our paintings of Jesus, he's, like, so, he's never smiling, yeah. you know? And And this year has, like, entrenched that imagery in us. Wow. And I think we got to get back to like, no, yes, God gets angry, wrathful, vengeful. Yes, Jesus goes away and his quiet solitude, all those things. But the permanence of his temperament is joy. It's, it's like joy. utter joy yeah. and gladness. And um, so we're, gonna, we're just going to try to get people back to that. Oh, I love yeah. that. Well, and I think it's so beautiful. Um, you know, shortly as things began to kind of open up in Arizona where we live, yeah. uh, I took my son and he loves Subway. And so I, I brought him to get a, a little sandwich and um, we, we walk up to the counter and I said, Hey, e, what, what do you, what do you want? And he looks at me and he orders to me. And, and I said, Oh, Hey, Hey, bud, like talk to, talk to the, the, yeah. the, the nice worker. Yeah. And he, and he looks at her and no joke. This is what he says. He goes, I'm so sorry. You're the first human I've talked to in person that's not related to me. So crazy. And and I and and again, one of the he's 12 at the time when he yeah. says this, and I just thought that was if he could articulate, you are the first human. And it, and I think in so many ways, um, the 12-year-old and all of us is having to relearn again how to find joy, how to connect, how to see, how to how to linger. Yeah. Um. In a in a very efficient, very quick. Yeah. But like, it's okay to exhale. It's yeah. okay to talk. It's okay to celebrate. It's okay to take in the smell of a good barbecue. Yeah. You know. And you yeah. guys have an amazing property. But I just I just realized like, oh man, for a lot of us who have been, and I feel like the the analog church, like it, it just brought me back thinking about my son, just kind of going, catch these these real connections, yeah. real relationships, like touch embodiment. Yeah. I love that you kept using that word, the, the just incarnational life um, is really, really important. And I'm not minimizing digital and I like what you're, you were saying about it, but I'm saying like, we, we can't minimize this though. Yeah, we right. cannot minimize. And I think more than ever, we have to double down on it. That's right. You know, yeah. so that's so good, man. Jay, talk about like, you know, and we've been together a few different times, but you know, there's always, again, just this, uh, and just this piece about you, just like, you know, and we'll chop it up and laugh and, you know, talk theology or, or food or, or books or church stuff. But like, there just seems to be this ease about you. Like is, and I don't know if it's in the, you've just found the peace in the mess in, in your prep and it just fills you. But like, what are some specific practices like that you um, have really helped allow your character to lead the way? Oh, man. Well, yeah, I'd say the same about you, oh. you know, so I'd ask that question right back to you, Steve. But yeah, for me, there's, there's a couple of things. Naturally, I'm, I'm um, fairly introverted and, again, you know, it kind of plays into what I said earlier about like I enjoy kind of the thought life and long, quiet um, stretches of but real quick if you're listening to this you might hear and you might hear his voice and you like smooth jazz kind of like he's got this thoughtful <laughs> but like he's a three on the enneagram yeah so i mean obviously you're teaching you're writing books like 
like there's there's an achiever in you, but there's yeah. there's this ability, like thoughtfulness. But like again, I just I just want people to see like that yeah. side of you, like dude, you you drive and get things done. Like yeah. you there's there's a there's a piece of it, but you found this amazing balance, at least from my interactions mm-hmm. with you, that I've just walked away just going, man, that's a that's a healthy three. Mm-hmm. Um I I I I've never said this publicly uh, before, but we're watching right now in the church landscape a whole bunch of eights. Mm. And I feel like books in some ways that are directed towards unhealthy eights. Mm. I I believe that a lot of church leaders in our generation yeah. are threes. Yeah. And I keep I keep thinking about in two decades what books are going to be written about unhealthy threes. Mm. And I look at you and my time with you walking away going, I just experienced like a healthy three, which I don't know very many of those. And and I think that's what I'm getting at in that sense of like, you found, you've struck this balance of writing, preaching, living in the mess, great father and husband, leader, pastor, blah, 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 yeah. all that stuff. But like, I, I guess is if that's, that's kind of where my, energy of that yeah, question is coming yeah. from because like I just want the listener to hear that because I see you've you've got both and you're doing both well in my opinion yeah man I, I so appreciate that it might just be that you're catching me on good days because I'm a mess dude I, I I still I still wrestle with all of that junk and um you know, I might be more sophisticated in the way I veil it, you know, sometimes. Okay. And that's, there's a danger in that too. But, but there also is, that's very affirming. Cause I do think that God has done hard and necessary work in me in recent years. And I'll tell a quick story about you and I connecting. Cause this is connected to it. Um, when you and I first met, we were at, at this event in Colorado several months back and it wasn't like a pre-planned meeting, like, hey, let's chat. It, we just happened to sit at the same table for dinner one night, and we'd never met in person. Um, I knew of you, and uh, so we just immediately, like, hey, I'm I'm Jay, I'm Steve, and we start talking. I think it was probably like 30 minutes into that conversation, we both had tears in our eyes, and we're talking about our kids. Yeah. And I get I get um, emotional now mm. ta- talking about that moment, and I've heard you tell that story multiple times, mm. and um, the the time since. And um, I think if there is any health by God's grace, that's where it comes from. Not my kids necessarily, but um, those sweet stories and reminders of the gift that life is. Mm. It's like. And that's, you know, it's one of the reasons why I love spending time with you because you exude the same thing. Mm. I mean, you've, um, in terms of like on paper and in terms of scale, I mean, like what I've gone through and my whatever, it's like minuscule to the stuff that God has brought you through, Mm. you know, taken you into and brought you through and all of that. And you exude the same thing, Mm. this like level of health. And I don't think it's an accident that, our initial connection. And it's been like this incredible gift from God. Like you've yeah. been a gift to wow. me Thank you. from Vice the versa. Lord. And it's not accidental to me mm. that it had nothing to do with anything about our books or our preaching or 
None of that. We didn't talk about that for, for the, our first several conversations. 100%. We were talking yep. about our families, yep. our kids, how our kids have taught us, yeah. how God has spoken to us through the mouths of five-year-olds and eight-year-olds and 12-year-olds, you know, like yeah. these little humans yeah. we're raising. And man, and even if you don't have kids, you're listening to this, you're like, I don't have kids. I mean, the reality is like we have those things that we know are the real gifts of life, like writing a book and publishing and speaking in front of a lot of people like feels nice, you know, temporally, I guess. But like, dude, like the stuff that moves the soul mm. to the point where it's like, wow, what a gift. Yeah. You know, um, I think if there is any health by God's grace, I've just become more deeply attuned to and aware of those gifts. So I have a little garden in my backyard uh, that my mom had to help us because my my wife and I, neither of us have green thumbs. But the special thing about gardens is once you can get it going, right. you can keep it going. And that is one of the most spiritual, it sounds so weird. Yeah. Uh, it's one of the most spiritual experiences of my daily life right now. It's going out to that garden, quietly watering my kids are making a ruckus in the background and it's and i'm just watering praying smiling because my kids are playing and it's gift you know mm. and in those moments i w i would not trade that for any new york times whatever yeah you know yeah um so there you go man that's so beautiful i mean man so much to, to say and take in on that if you were to go back 15 years, do you think, can you imagine yourself being able to slow down? 15 years, no. You know what I mean? Like it, I yeah. like, and it's amazing is like when you're talking about what you guys are going to try and do as a church and you were saying that we really want to kind of practice lingering mm. and this like joy and just, and I, and I do think about that, that first time we hung out and, you know, we're at this table of eight or nine and then, I mean, some movers and shakers at yeah, this table. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, just in this moment, we're like, you and I are like at this circular table, looking at each other, both tears in our eyes, but like we're lingering. Yeah. yeah. And, and again, nothing about where did you preach last? What did yeah. you do? No, no, no. It was just in the sense, like you were saying, like in the, the deepest of things. Um, and I just, I think finding meaning and being able to linger. And I just love that. Like, that's what you do. You know, like even last night we, we were hanging out and, yeah. you know, having a conversation with a diver, yeah. you know, at the restaurant. And I just, <laughs> it's just like, you know, I wanted to talk to you, but like, but there's a part of me that's like, let's just, and just the conversation. And I just, I, I felt like that guy just kept wanting to come yeah. and linger yeah. in what we were talking about. And I don't know. I just, that, that spiritual practice of just linger, like yeah. just lingering in God's goodness. You know what I saw when you were talking, cause the way it happened is you asked about his watch. He had yeah. this cool watch yeah. and then he ended up talking about, he was showing us some photos of some like incredible dive he did in yes. Mexico. And, um, what it made me think was, you know, that CS Lewis quote where he's like, you've never met an ordinary human. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it takes, he doesn't say this, but this, this is my addition. It takes eyes to see the extraordinary, oh, yeah. you know? Yeah. And to have those eyes, it demands lingering. 
Like it doesn't, no, it, they're not, they're not contacts you wear at all times. They're like glasses you have to pull out of your front pocket, you know? And it yeah. takes a little time to unfold and yeah. put it on. Yeah. And, and we just, I think we move so fast that everything feels ordinary. Mm. And we're moving fast looking for the extraordinary. But in reality, the extraordinary is like everywhere. We just don't slow down enough to see it. So we're just on this futile search for the extraordinary. And yeah. I love the way you said it, man. It's like the deepest of things. Yeah. Like my little garden yeah. and my son yeah. and my daughter and our chat last night. And, you know, those things. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and and I, I like it's convicting for me because oftentimes if I play it back 15 years, I think the glasses that I was wearing, the contacts was what can you do for me? What can you do for me? What can you, what can you do for me? You know, and it's not lingering. It's agenda. (laughs) It's like, okay, great. Okay. Okay. You know? And so I I think just when there's, you know, nothing but just this moment, you know, but like, like, and I like how you talked about that in the future of everything with that whole kind of leaning towards and leaning forward. It's, it's, it's this, this does matter, but man, what's to come matters so much more. Yeah. And I want to bring as many people into <laughs> linger in that reality yeah. for eternity, yeah. you know? And so, um, Jay, thank you. Thanks just for, I mean, again, your example, who you are. Um, if, if I, if our listeners at Crafting Character wanted to learn more about Westgate or about Analog Church or you, where could they find you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for, um, for having me on. Uh, yeah, our church is just westgatechurch.org. Um, and then uh, I have all my stuff just on a little website, jkimthanks.com. And um, yeah, books and uh, preaching staff and articles, you know, I've, I've worked on. And uh, that's my handle wherever too, jkimthanks. Jkimthanks. Seriously, uh, give him a follow. Um, if you've not read Analog Church, pick it up. Like, just sit down. It's a book to linger in. It's a book that will get you thinking. There's a section on that he does on Babel that is just, I mean, it's, it's like worth the price of admission. So there is so much there. Um, but it's the kind of book that I think will help you as people are returning back to church, back to the sanctuary, back to the facilities, uh, for you to actually see, um, people in real ways and linger in the right ways. So thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. Obviously, if there's anything I can do to ever serve you, you can shoot me an email at steve at steveryancarter.org. Also, um, I got to tell you, we did a little cohort this week. The great Mark Moore, he's a teaching pastor at CCV out in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, We had eight or nine amazing um, lead pastors, church planners, teaching pastors, it's just so fun. They're going on a year-long cohort. Um, we're kicking off a brand new cohort, and the coach is Nancy Beach. And so I'm excited for um, some some women, some men to go on this journey. So um, you can learn more at theascentleader.org, or you can always go to craftincharacter.org. Again, thanks so much, everyone, and let's this week practice the sacred art of lingering in God's goodness. Grace and peace. Grace and peace.